All right, so uh, the previous episode, we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Today, I am continuing on with uh, the 316s uh, series that I'm doing by following up with 2 Corinthians 3.16, which comes canonically right after 1 Corinthians. It's kind of, it kind of makes sense that they're kind of paired up. Uh, before I get into the, the content of today's episode, I just want to let you guys know that if you have any questions or comments about anything that pops up in the podcast, I'd love to hear those comments. I'd love to respond to them. Uh, if you have prayer requests, I'd love to pray over those uh, concerns and uh, praises that you might have. In order to submit those to me, if you are on the Anchor app or you are on uh, my website, anchor.fm slash quarantinedchristian, uh, there should be a button there that says message or send message, and it allows you to record a brief audio message that I get. I'm able to listen to it. I'm able to respond to it if if I have permission to incorporate it into uh an episode. So if you have something that you'd like to share with me, uh, question or comment or prayer request wise, I'm all ears. That having been said, let's get into today's uh, content. So uh, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And while the first letter was sent by Paul to help guide the Corinthian church in ending the divisions that were taking place within that body of believers, uh, the second one was a follow-up on that first message. Now, the Corinthian church was a rarity uh, because it actually received a second letter from Paul. Now, we don't know how many churches Paul actually sent out letters to. What we have in the New Testament are uh, what was collected and what we have multiple copies of. Uh, and so, because of this rarity... Uh, it was, it's kind of interesting. See, usually Paul didn't have to write back to a church for teaching purposes unless they didn't listen to the first words of encouragement that he sent to them. So he sent uh, 1 Corinthians to them to end what was going on uh, in the church at that time. And 2 Corinthians was prompted by the fact that Paul got word from uh, many of his contacts in Corinth that things hadn't gotten any better and they hadn't followed his instructions. So this morning's passage, Paul is reflecting on the glory found uh, in the new covenant through Christ. So let me back up here. Uh, throughout the course of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are several covenants or promises instituted or instigated by God. So in the very first uh, the very first covenant that we actually come across is considered the Adamic, named after Adam, uh, as in Adam and Eve, the Adamic covenant. Um, ju- and it's simply, you know, be fruitful and multiply. And there really isn't anything else for humanity to do because while, you know, God had only given so many instructions in the Garden of Eden, and the instructions were pretty clear, very, uh, very explicit in what He expected of them. Uh, humanity violated that covenant, um, and so it's kind of pushed out. Um, eventually, we come to Genesis chapter twelve, 
And we have the calling of Abram, who later became renamed Abraham, father of many. And God starts a covenant with him saying that he will bless Abraham to be the father of many nations, that his, uh, his descendants will outnumber the grains of sand on, on, the, on the shores. And, you know, here we see that, you know, I, I can't track all the lineage. I don't have that technology. I don't have that science. I'm not a geneticist of any kind. But uh, one of the really interesting things is that uh, you can see this ancestry play out through the course of the Old Testament. And in the Gospels of uh, Matthew and Luke, you see those, those uh, ancestries being listed out in the early chapters uh, to indicate the, uh, the number of generations that led from Abraham to Jesus. And so that was the, the covenant there. Then there is the, uh, the covenant with Israel. Uh, well, let me back up. There's the covenant with, yeah, the covenant with Israel. Jacob was the grandson of, of Abraham uh, and he had 12 sons and he is promised by God that he would be the father of a mighty nation of God's people. Eventually his, his sons became the forefathers of the tribes of Israel. Uh, and eventually Israel became a huge nation state. Uh, and it still exists to this day, much different than it did before but still very much the same. Then we have what's called the uh, Judaic covenant. Uh, Judah was the, uh, one of the sons and one of, J- of Jacob slash Israel um, and one of the forefathers of the tribe of Judah. And he is told that, a, that from his family line, God was going to use uh, a descendant uh, to bring restoration between humanity and God. Later on down the line, we come to David, who is of the tribe of Judah. He is, he is a descendant of Judah. He is king of Israel over the entire kingdom. And he is told by God in what's called the Davidic covenant that he is going to be the the ancestor of the true king of Israel paving the way for Jesus so we have those those covenants now when Jesus comes onto the scene and he started his ministry before he is crucified resurrected and ascended he actually instigates a new covenant with his followers and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so, the, uh, the verse says this, Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, I want to I wanna consider one of the most helpful focal points of the Christian faith. Not long ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, and we were talking about some of the horrible things taking place in the world. 
uh, and I expressed my hope in the day of, of Christ's return. And the comment that was made to me after I described what it's supposed to look like, according to the descriptions from Revelation, was that Christ's return sounds frightening. Now, I disagreed. I have a little bit of a better understanding, uh, you know, having gone through seminary and, and explicitly reading through the, con- the contextual information that uh, is applied to uh, the books of the Bible. And so, so I disagreed. And while I'm sure it will be intense, especially for the unrepentant non-believer, I've seen the face of God as reflected in many aspects of his creation. When Paul wrote again to the Corinthians, he referenced how many people respond and react to God in the same manner as Moses did whenever he came into God's presence. So if you go back to the book of Exodus, whenever Moses interacted with God, especially you look at that first time with the burning bush, he uh, he bows down, he hides his face, uh, and, and there's this sense of unworthiness and shame because he's unable to look at the face of God or the presence of God. Uh, the, the thing that, remi- that comes to mind when I, when I think about that is, um, for anybody who's ever seen the movie Wayne's World, there's a scene about a third or halfway through the movie where Wayne and Garth, uh, played by Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, they are, they're given tickets and back row passes, uh, backstage passes to see Alice Cooper perform uh, in Milwaukee. And they go backstage and they're having this conversation with Alice Cooper. And Alice Cooper's a really smart guy. He's a really cool guy. Um, ironically enough, he's, he is uh, a Christian. He's come to faith in Christ. Uh, and he's, he's very strong in his faith, which is pretty awesome to see lives changed. Uh, so there's kind of a, a, a beautiful symmetry here in, in this, this statement. But as he's talking with Wayne and Garth, the, uh, you know, he says something profound or whatever, and they immediately drop to their hands and knees, you know, bowing before him saying, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. And it's one of the, the funnier scenes in, in the film. Um, but that's how I imagined it going for Moses so frequently. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, you know, hands and knees and all that. Now, I'm speaking more from my own experiences than I am from my usual academic understanding of Scripture. But when I came into my relationship with Christ, I felt confident to be able to look at the marvels that God has created, whether it be nature or another person who is made in the image of God. And I feel confident enough to look up and and experience God's presence uh, in some kind of tangible way. And I'm not looking up to the heavens. I'm not looking up to the sky and, and you know pointing my vision up that way. But I am eager to face with I'm I, I, I face what comes head on with eagerness and boldness. Now, are there times when I'm praying where I bow my head in, in reverence and I'm, you know, I, I lower myself? Yes, there are times where I do that because I recognize that I'm talking with my Lord and my Savior, my King. 
I have no need to hide my face, though, because I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are parts of my past that I don't like. Things that I have done, even as a Christian, that when I look back at that, it's, it, you know, it could be considered embarrassing. I'm not ashamed by what I was or what I've done. I detest who I was before Christ and some of the things that I've done that were sinful even after becoming a Christian. But through God's grace and His mercy, I have learned how to accept that part of my past and move beyond it. See, it's the work of the devil that tries to constantly remind us of what we were, of who we were, of what we did. That's not what God's about. God's about separating that portion off and moving forward. Not to forget about it altogether, but to learn from that and to, and to not do it again. Because that is not the kind of, uh, that is not the kind of uh, witness or example that we need to be giving when it comes to Christ. That I, there are people who believe that Christians are hypocrites because they see Christians uh, doing what would be considered sinful things uh, out in public. I mean, we see it very much today. Um, and in our Western culture, uh, we have this weird sense of believing that um, if we do something right, then God's going to reward us with some kind of material gain. Uh, that kind of prosperity gospel is very dangerous. Uh, that's something I'll talk about at a later time. But all too often, Christians are looked at as being hypocrites because we are imperfect. And there are a lot of people who refuse to go to church or be a part of the church or give their lives over to God because of how they see other Christians operate. However, it's important to note that the church, the Big C Church, the family of God, is not a hotel for saints. It is a hospital for broken sinners. And while believers in Christ were uh, traditionally referred to as the saints in Scripture, it doesn't mean a perfect person. Human beings are flawed. We aren't perfect. We are trying to, we are trying to come into that perfection as Christ perfects us. The image that is frequently given by the Apostle Paul is that of a of a metalsmith, specifically a uh, uh, a goldsmith. Gold is and silver and all sorts of other precious metals are put through a refining process. You don't just dig through the ground. Oh, there's gold. You have to find it. You have to ex you have to remove it from the rock. The only way you can do that is by melting it down. 
you get it really, really hot. And since rock takes far more heat and pressure to melt than gold does, gold actually has a very, very low melting point. Once you are able to liquefy that gold, you can remove everything else. And then they, they take out the impurities and, 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 and they, they purify the gold until they have something pure and something precious. Like I said, I detest who I was before Christ, but I'm not ashamed of it. I have learned to accept that part of my past and move beyond it. The people who have had difficulty accepting their past, the ones who are terribly afraid of being found out, those are the ones being tormented by Satan. It's one of his tactics to bring up the past and make us feel guilty for something Christ has already forgiven them for doing. Am I unworthy of the gift of grace that Christ has given me? Absolutely. But Christ didn't die for my sins, or the sins of the world for that matter, in a once-for-all sacrifice because we were worthy of it or Him. He did it because we weren't. We can be as religious as possible, but that veil isn't going anywhere until we come into a right relationship with Christ. Think of it in terms of a wedding, especially keeping in mind that the church, the people of God, are often referred to by Paul as the bride of Christ. Now, when it comes to weddings, veils have been used uh, for a variety of reasons. In the ancient Near East, um, they were used as a way of concealing beauty uh, of the bride so that the only one who would be allowed to see her would be her husband. Uh, in medieval Europe, veils were used for more hygienic purposes uh, because people usually had bad breath or they probably hadn't bathed for a while. And so the veil kind of was, per was covered in perfume and it held back that stench. Uh, in the modern concept, veils are decorative. I've, I've gone to weddings where veils weren't even used. But when the relationship is made official, and when the couple pledges themselves with their I do's, and the minister pronounces them husband and wife, the, bri the bride's veil is lifted, symbolizing that nothing will come between the husband and the wife. Similarly, when we come into that right relationship with God through Christ, when that becomes official, that veil that separates us from God is lifted. Nothing is hidden from us. That doesn't mean we're going to come into all knowledge and, and all wisdom. What that means is that we are no longer separated from God. It's a glorious, glorious thing. It's a glorious new way to be human. With that having been said, let's go to prayer. Lord, I just, I thank you for everything that you do, everything that you give us. Thank you for opening our eyes to the glory and majesty of what it means to be in a right relationship with you. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for 
bridging that divide between us. There are a lot of people who are struggling in their faith right now, especially because times are challenging, times are difficult, and times feel very uncertain. Lord, we, we, I, I just pray that you keep us encouraged, you keep us emboldened, you strengthen our families, you strengthen our relationships, Lord, and we lift all these things to you. You are in control of everything. Thank you for this beautiful day. We pray all these things to you. Amen. Hey, thank you for listening. If you had any questions or comments with regards to the content that you listened to today or previous episodes, by all means, uh, you can click the message button that is on the Anchor app or on anchor.fm slash quarantinedchristian. And if you click on that button, it will allow you the opportunity to record a quick uh, uh, audio message. So you can send that message to me with your questions or comments. Or if you have any prayer requests that uh, you need prayer over, I would love to sit down and pray with you. Hope you have a very blessed day. And I'll be back with the next episode in just a couple of days.